and welcome to Performance Anxiety. We analyse the film, television, theatre and comedy performances that everybody is talking about. I'm Alex Dale and with me is my resident film expert, Dr. Marenton. On this episode, Poor Things starring Emma Stone, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, written by Tony McNamara from a book by Alistair Gray, starring Emma Stone as Bella Baxter. Mark Ruffalo as Duncan Wedderburn, and Willem Dafoe as Dr. Godwin Baxter, among many, many others. You're right. Yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm super. I'm looking forward to talking about poor things. <laughs> poor things seems to be tickling everybody's fancy, doesn't it? It really does. And this is what we want to understand. What's this fancy that's being tickled? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we went to see this. And we were somewhat nonplussed by the critical reaction. Yes, you know, all this kind of enthusiasm out of the film, I really couldn't get it. Let me give you some examples of what we're talking about here. <laughs> because we analyse the performances that everybody's talking about, and everybody is talking about Emma Stone. Variety say that Emma Stone's graphic poor thing sex scenes made Venice, where it was premiered, erupt in an eight-minute standing ovation. Nicole Flattery in Sight and Sound said that Emma Stone's performance is integral to the unity of poor things. Wendy Eyed in The Guardian said Emma Stone transfixes in Yorgos Lanthimos's thrilling Carnival of Oddness. Ooh. Are you thrilled by a Carnival of Oddness? It is a Carnival of Oddness. Jeffrey McNabb in The Independent said that Emma Stone has never been bolder than in this odd, surreal farce. <laughs> so this is giving you uh, some sense of how the critics are reacting. Mm. And it's also gathering awards too. So Emma Stone has won a Golden Globe already for her performance, and she's now nominated for an Oscar. The film itself is nominated for 11 Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress for Emma Stone, Best Supporting Actor, Mark Ruffalo, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Original Score. The point being is that the critical response is pretty off the charts mm -hmm. and everyone is raving about what Emma Stone does. They, they like the film and they point to Emma Stone as being integral to its success. Our question for this episode then is quite straightforward. What is special about this performance that Emma Stone gives <laughs> in Poor Things? Exactly. I think we were a bit nonplussed because all we heard were these kind of tautological, enthusiastic responses. So people just said it was odd and quirky and interesting, but never explained why. It was odd because it's odd. It's interesting because it's interesting. We want to know and want to get to the bottom of why these things are odd and quirky and interesting. Because, as you said, when we were watching the film, the film itself didn't strike us as very interesting or imaginative, but maybe we're dead inside. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, there was something about this film that we found really interesting and that made it work. And I think we found it, like many others, in the performance of Emma Stone. And here's the thing. Nobody analyzes it, so we have to do it now. I think that's absolutely correct. In order to understand, then, this performance, we very quickly need to understand what Poor Things actually is. We also need to understand more about Emma Stone, what kind of performer she is, where she's from, what she represents, 
And if we understand those two things in more detail, we will understand why she is perfect in this role and why so many people are responding in this very visceral, this very um, over-the-top way to her performance in this. My favourite go-to reference point, <laughs> the Internet Movie Database, describes um. poor things as the incredible tale about the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, a young woman brought back to life by the brilliant and unorthodox scientist, Dr. Godwin Baxter. <laughs> that tells us everything and nothing, really. Yeah, so far so Frankenstein. Well, Frankenstein is an obvious reference point, is it not? <laughs> Can you give us more detail of what the kind of plot of this film is and what its kind of reference points are? What do you see when you see this film? I think what is interesting for us here is the setup of Bella Baxter's story. And that is, you know, that she was before she was Frankensteined. <laughs> <laughs> she was a young Victorian lady that killed herself when she was very heavily pregnant. And Dr. Baxter, Willem Dafoe, got this half-dead body or probably dead body, cut out the fetus and implanted the fetus brain into the skull of the mother. Oh, right. So... Emma Stone is a grown Victorian woman who has her own child's brain implanted in her own skull, where we see not the body developing, but the brain developing throughout the film. So it starts off with Bella behaving like a very, very small baby, a toddler. We see the world through her eyes. So Lanthimos creates these kind of weird fisheye lenses and black and white. So we see the world as she does through these kind of baby eyes. The world is enormous because of these fisheye lenses. Exactly, yeah. So everything's, and everything's a sort of distorted in a way that we don't, as grown-ups, don't focus upon. But babies focus on different things and everything's dimensions is very, very different than they are for a grown-up. So she is a mature body with the mind of, first of all, a newborn that then develops over time. Yes, and we witness her not growing physically, but the brain develops at an enormous speed. <laughs> yeah. So uh, then we see her experimenting with different things. The lenses change as we suddenly see color. And then Bella Baxter discovers uh, sexuality, <laughs> you yeah. know, that age. And that is the kind of liberational moment, the puberty moment, when she wants to break away from her father, go into the world, and she attaches herself to this uh, Lothario, played by Mark <laughs> Ruffalo, who takes her on a journey first to Portugal and then to Paris, where she then also becomes more independent of him and tries to see the world and experience the world. Well, she becomes a prostitute. Let's not, <laughs> let's not beat her on the bush. No. So Lanthimos shows us the logical conclusion every time Bella has an urge. So she follows her urges. She sees poverty and then she just gives money to the poor people in this kind of unreflective way. Or she just wants to have sex. She goes and has sex. She talks very freely about the urges and desires that she has. She's very uninhibited. Yes. This is one of the things I think that critics have kind of picked up in a very obvious way, in that there are there is a fair amount of nudity and sex in this film. <laughs> and to a degree, people are calling this aspect of the film brave, like this is part of the performance. 
What do you make of that? Is that the whole story? Is there more to it? What do you reckon? So what I would say is that the whole sex and nudity stuff is not in itself liberating, interesting or quirky or brave. But it absolutely is part of Emma Stone's performance. It is the performance that is meaningful here. So rather than saying the performance is the sex, we have to say that sex is part of the performance in the film. So we have to look at the performance. In summary, it's I think it's quite hard to say what the film is actually about. Lots of critics kind of describe the things that it evokes. Maybe this is a legacy of its written novel <laughs> origins. Yes. People say it's a bit like Frankenstein, it's a bit gothic horror, but they can't tell you what the film is about. No, people sh completely shy away telling you what the film is about. They're just telling you the effect it has on them. It's quirky, it's fun, it's out there. They can't say why. I think that is very telling, that people can't tell you why. And I think that means that the film itself is probably not much more than the sum of its own parts, you know. It's just what it is. Nevertheless, we were still entertained by it. So, you know, we had to think about this and we came to the very good conclusion that it must be Emma Stone's performance. Yes. And I think we can talk about Emma Stone now and why that performance is already outside this movie and means so much more than the film itself. All right. Let's understand Emma Stone a little bit. Let's look at her CV for a start. <laughs> <laughs> I have it here. <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> her first big film role was in Superbad, which people may remember as a high school comedy, and she plays an impossible object of desire among the <laughs> high school boys. She's also been in The House Bunny. I'm, I'm choosing films here which I think are very representative of her work. Mm -hmm. She was in Zombieland, she was in Easy A. That's a very interesting one for this discussion. She was also in Crazy Stupid Love. Very important. She was in La La Land with Ryan Gosling. She was in The Favourite, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. She was in Cruella. That's an interesting one. And most recently, she's been in Poor Things. She's been in a bunch of other things as well, like The Amazing Spider-Man. But I'm, I'm deliberately choosing the roles that I think are very pertinent to this discussion. Mm -hmm. Looking at those roles, do you think there's a common thread there to the kind of roles that she's going for or maybe the kind of types that she ends up playing? Does she personify something? And what is that thing? What is her type? <laughs> well, if you look at all the roles, she always seems to play a woman that is an object of desire, but not for the reasons you think. <laughs> right? Not for her beauty and not for her talent or anything. She seems to attract men through a certain honesty of character. And this kind of honesty comes through how her persona can be read in these films. And that has a strong reminiscence of a clown. Okay. <laughs> That's not what I would have expected, honestly. Well, she has this clownish archetype mm -hmm. in that she allows other people to feel free through her experience of the world. And that's what all the roles have in common. Is that in her physicality or in her behavior or her attitude? Where, where do you think the clownishness comes from in her, <laughs> her being, if you know what I mean? Because when you say clowns, I think a lot of people might just think circus, buckets of paper, you know, <laughs> clown cars. 
do you mean that kind of clown or is there a, or what are you thinking of? What do you mean by a clown, I guess, is my question. And why do you think she is that kind of archetype? Clowns are not just actors. They are a whole different thing. They are the ones who have always been part of the repertoire of performance in that they represent a kind of alternative to the rules and regulations of society. They're the ones who, through their physicality, enable us to see the world differently. They don't do it through great speeches or through uh, wisecracks. They're not comedians. They show it to us through their bodies, through pratfalls, through pulling faces, grimacing. And here we're back at Emma Stone, <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's her physicality. She is very, very physical, and especially with her face. She pulls a lot of faces. She grimaces. That is very unusual for women actors. I know what you mean, funnily enough. Yes, she's not um, pulling kind of cutie faces. She's <laughs> pulling quite bizarre looking, as you say, clownish grimacing a lot of the time. Exactly. In fact, one of them is now a meme <laughs> from Easy A. Yeah. The yum. <laughs> Precisely, yeah. Beca because that's so unusual to see a woman kind of pulling these bizarre faces. Yes, and she does it quite often. You know, she, she's a face puller. <laughs> but that's how clowns work, through their physicality. Yeah, they open up doors in a way that you don't think were possible. Do you think they're anarchists or, or what is this? <laughs> they are. Of course they are. You know, think of all the great clowns from Kramer and Seinfeld, <laughs> you know, Robin Williams, Jim Carrey. These are the great clowns of cinema. And these open up the physical world to show you how actually mannered you are in your body. How constrained you are. How constrained you are, right? We are very constrained in the way we use our bodies and we don't even know it. We see it often when we watch children play. That reminds us, oh my God, this is how I used to move and run around and be free. And clowns have made this into a profession. They will re-show it to us what it means to be free through the use of your body. Clowns are often associated mm -hmm. with innocence as well, or maybe uh, uncivilized or unschooled. <laughs> they, they haven't been socialized yet, maybe. Well, or they're not cynical. <laughs> they're not cynical. Look at uh, another great clown in movie history, you know, Harpo Marx. Harpo Marx is you know, one of the three Marx brothers who... Uh, Slavoj Žižek, the philosopher, very much described the three as the three <laughs> entities of a per personality, according to Freud. So Harpo is the id, the unrestrained urges that a human being has from beginning. Your animal impulses. Your animal <laughs> impulses, exactly. They're represented by Harpo Marx. You know, he does whatever he wants. He has no policeman in his head. He has no super ego. That would be Groucho Marx, the guy who always tells him, no, you're not allowed to do this. <laughs> Thinking about that then in reference to Emma Stone in Poor Things, do you think there's a Freudian analysis to be had there? <laughs> Can you explain her character that way? Well, I think here we see how the character of Bella Baxter is Emma Stone. Her persona as a clown is very much embodied in this character, literally. The character starts out with the brain of a baby, so absolute id. 
they are pure drives for food, warmth, shelter, love, those kind of <laughs> yeah. things. And, you know, she goes round, does whatever she wants. She pees herself on the staircase and she hacks the dead bodies. She's violent. Yeah, she has no inner policeman to tell her what to do. No filter, as they would yes. say. We have this physical performance of Emma Stone. You know, she... She walks awkwardly. She can't walk properly at the beginning because her physicality tells her this is how you walk. That's interesting, talking about her physicality. That's one of the things that Yorgos Lanthimos, I think, was quite keen to talk about in relation to her performance. He said that Emma really found that complexity of not just playing Bella as a child or a baby in a cute way. It was quite tricky. And the way we approached it in the end was to really work with the physicality of the character without trying to analyze it or understand it. So even there, in the performance, they're not analyzing it in a kind of superego or ego way. They're just <laughs> following the logic of those urges to see what the physicality would yes. develop. So Lanthimos shows urges taking to their logical conclusion. That's what Bella does. And here, this is where the sex comes back in, right? <laughs> so here the sex becomes important to this development of not just of the character, but as clowns do, they allow the audience to remember what it feels like to be free. So we enjoy a kind of new freedom of sexuality by letting Bella Baxter discover her own relentless urges. <laughs> When we walked out of the film, you did say Emma Stone has a particular kind of emotional openness or availability. Is that part of Emma Stone's unique performance? What, what, is, what is that? So she's not just a clown. She's also a movie star. Don't forget, <laughs> right? So she has a face that the camera loves. So some faces are just so that they look good at every angle. You know, the camera compresses the 3D world into a 2D world. And it likes certain shapes. Certain things look good compressed into two dimensions. What that also means is that she has a kind of natural openness at every angle. So we can look at her from any kind of angle, but we feel that's Emma Stone. And that combined with her clownishness and her character, that gives you a kind of openness to who that person is. It's very, very attractive, this, this availability of your own self as an actor to others through these kind of visual <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, abilities, right? Thinking about Emma Stone more broadly, we've established her clownishness very well. There's still something about her persona in relation to this role and that, and that beautiful alchemy that transcends the film, that lifts her performance. Everybody's talking about it and put their <laughs> finger on this unique thing. It's bigger than the film. What do you think that is, that quality? So what makes Emma Stone's performance here so special and actually lifts her performance outside the film, makes it bigger than the film itself, is the film and the role not just match but it's a growth of her own persona through this role that she plays. It's not just a perfect match of persona and character, but both of them grow together in this film. So Bella Baxter has the brain of a child that grows and develops into a woman that can take care of herself. 
Emma Stone's persona always used to be a young woman with a kind of child's brain. <laughs> yeah, Or maybe it? underdeveloped, let's say. A, a mature body. Yes. But a kind of childish attitude towards things. So famously, she has this very husky voice mm -hmm. that is the result of a childhood illness as it happens. <laughs> but what it does is it makes her seem very mature and very mm -hmm. put together and very adult. But as you say, her mentality and her behavior is this clownish childishness, <laughs> this openness, vulnerability and so on. Absolutely. And you can see that in the roles in Superbad. She's a dork you know, <laughs> in Easy A. You know, she very explicitly pretends that she's having sex with a bunch of kids. So she has this mature physicality, but her attitude to it all is very childish. She has this very peculiar, half-developed, half-childish persona through all of the films. Yes. So she always plays teenagers and, and very, very young adults until mm -hmm. now. People who look mature, but are not really mature. <laughs> so, and that's why the role of Bella Baxter is really interesting because it's somebody who looks mature, but is not really mature. But becomes mature. But becomes mature. And here's the thing. Emma Stone can't stay this little forever. She has to grow up. <laughs> yes. She has to play roles in which she is not a childish brain anymore, but she needs to keep this clownish freedom. What we're saying then, I think, is that the story of poor things and the story of Bella Baxter is actually the story of Emma Stone's transformation as a performer. She is consciously or not, maybe repositioning her brand is a terrible word, but maybe she is <laughs> altering or extending her persona in order to be able to do more things with it. Is that fair, do you think? I think it's definitely fair. And, you know, technical things like showing that she can do sex on screen <laughs> is only part of this. But far more important is the growth of her persona into something more than just a dork who, you know, is a child in a grown-up's body without losing this kind of clownish anarchy that her physicality brings to the screen. That's, uh, I think, a really nice <laughs> summary of Emma Stone's qualities as a performer. She's very interesting in that regard, and I look forward to seeing what she does next, I think. I think so, and I think she is bigger than this movie, which in its own story terms, is not very interesting at all. What is big and what is interesting is Emma Stone here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Performance Anxiety. We hope you've enjoyed it. Don't forget to like and subscribe and spread the word. We'll be back soon with more analysis. Until then, goodbye. Bye. Directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. Yorgos Lanthimos. Don't do it, don't, don't do that. Lanthimos for men. <laughs> 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 <laughs>